sermon this morning. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This sermon is going to be quite different from uh, any sermon you've heard me preach in the past. We are going to break it up a little bit. Throughout the sermon, at the end of each point, we're going to sing a song. And that song is going to relate directly to that which we just learned. Uh, It's good to have a little bit of variation from time to time, and particularly on this Thanksgiving morning, um, this is is going to be an opportunity for us to uh, praise the Lord uh, in song throughout our points. If you would like an outline for this morning's service, if you would raise your hand, Evan will come around with outlines, and uh, he will be sure to get you an outline for the service so that you can follow along with those three points, perhaps particularly since the points are going to be broken up by song. It may mean you can follow along a little bit better. It may mean that you uh, are more tempted to get a little bit lost. So by all means, if you need one, get one of those outlines for this morning's service. As I finished my prayer this morning, I quoted Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season ye shall reap if ye faint not. Let me read you the two verses just prior to that one in our Bibles. Galatians chapter 6 verses 7 and 8 say this. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of his flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. We see a principle in this passage. We typically call it the sowing and reaping principle. It's one that we can trace throughout the Word of God, the reality that you reap what you sow. Here in Galatians chapter 6, It says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. God will not be mocked. What God has said in His Word will indeed come to pass. Perhaps I've given the illustration before, but it's very applicable. My wife and I were starting to try to get a garden going, and this year we we put a few things in the ground. Next year we'll try to put a few more things in the ground and work our way up to a garden. She grew up in Atlanta. I grew up in Colorado. The, the, the growing season is different. The way you plant is different. What you plant is different. How you feed it is different. There's a lot of things that are different. So we're adjusting. We're learning. But one thing that we can be pretty sure of is that if I put a tomato plant in the ground, I'm not going to get a pumpkin out of it. If I put peas in the ground, I'm not going to go out there one day and find a banana tree. You reap what you sow. You plant things, and what you plant, I mean, unless there's already seeds in the ground, we understand that, but, but the principle will always stand that what you sow is what you reap. What you put in the ground is what you're going to get out of the ground. What you put into your life is what you're going to get out of your life. You can't cheat the principle. You may think you can. You may come on Sunday morning and and try to reflect uh, godliness and, and a, the fruit of the Spirit and all of those elements of your life, and then go home and fill your mind with trash and sin and garbage. But it's going to come out. What, 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 what goes in will come out. In one way, one shape, one form, the garbage that goes in will come out. The righteousness that goes in will come out. It's the sowing and reaping principle And it's seen all throughout the Scriptures. One of the reasons why we do worship the way we do here at Legacy Baptist Church is because we believe in the sowing and reaping principle. And so as we quote the Scripture every week, you may not memorize it at the end of the month, but you've seen it at least four times. 
maybe five, maybe ten, if you come for multiple services. And what goes in will come out. So we read the Scriptures. So you listen to the Word of God. So we sing songs that are based upon the Word of God in order that what is coming in will find its way out of your life. Sowing and reaping principle. And as we've talked about Thanksgiving over the past several weeks, I trust you've seen that Thanksgiving is that way as well. What goes in will come out. What's inside will work its way outside. Two weeks ago in my message, that was the message that we talked about the command to be thankful. I read to you chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Let me read it again. By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. The Scriptures tell us that the fruit of our thanksgiving is praise unto God. And so as we are a thankful people, and that thanksgiving which is inside of us comes out of us, the fruit of that thanksgiving will be praise to God. And so thanksgiving bears fruit as well. And today we're going to speak about this fruit. What are the results of thanksgiving? As you are a thankful people, we talked about the the command to be thankful, we talked about what thanksgiving is, we talked about the, the roots of unthankfulness last week and the dangers of being an unthankful people. But today, as you determine to do what God has commanded you to do, to be thankful as God has commanded you to be thankful, what can you expect to be the fruit of that in your life and in the life of this church. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. We opened in our text today to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. Now, you know that we had been walking through 1 Corinthians until this month. Um, it's, it probably was good to take a break. 1 Corinthians was getting kind of heavy, and uh, it was probably good to take a break. We're going to jump around to a few different scriptures this morning again. You know I don't typically do this, but we'll still exposit them properly as we look into the Word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The immediate context of this chapter is Paul exhorting believers unto steadfast faithfulness in a life that is pleasing to God. Verse 1, the Scriptures tell us to faint not. It says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, 2 Corinthians 4.1, as we have received mercy, we faint not. What ministry is he talking about here? He's talking about the ministry of the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, as we have this ministry, we faint not. Verse 2, he takes for granted the fact that we have announced the elements of ministry whereby we would seek to convince people through deceit or through dishonesty or to manipulate people into obeying the Word of God. Nowhere in Scripture are we told to use deceit, dishonesty, or manipulation to bring about proper conduct. Proper conduct doesn't go from the outside of a person to their heart. It comes from their heart and it comes out into their life. And so we as believers, when we're seeking to share the gospel, or when we're seeking to lead people into godliness, we start with the heart, and we work outward. We don't start with the actions and try to work inward. It doesn't work that way. And so that's what Paul is saying here. That we renounce the dishonesty, that we renounce the deceit, that we renounce the manipulation, and as we spread the gospel, we faint not, and we do it honestly. He says in verse 2, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience, hitting his heart in the sight of God. We live the truth, we preach the truth, and we aim at the heart. 
Verses 3 and 4 remind us that our gospel must be openly manifest. See, if we're aiming for the heart, if we're aiming for a person's inner man, his conscience, then we better practice what we preach. Hypocrisy does not impress anyone's heart. Hypocrisy is not going to fit the bill. And so he reminds us that our gospel must be open. It must be manifest. If we hide it, if we pretend it's not there, then the lost and dying world cannot see it. See, it's already... The, 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 the God of this world, Satan, the deceiver, has already blinded the hearts of men. And now if we hide the light and they're already in darkness and they don't see the light, how can they come to the light? So he says, But if our gospel be hid, verse 3, it is hid to them that are lost and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. We've got to be a light in a dark world. Verses 5 through 7 exhort us then to shine. Not our light, but the light of God's gospel into the darkness of the world. Paul says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. We preach God's power. We preach God's truth. And as we reflect the light of God, people come to not our light, but God's light. And as Paul has talked about all these aspects of ministry and how it is we share the gospel, he reminds the people that the gospel ministry, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ is not always easy, nor is it always luxurious or comfortable. As we step into verse 8, Paul is going to describe his own ministry experiences. Look with me beginning in verse 8. We'll read through verse 12. Paul says, speaking of the apostles, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us but life in you. Paul describes the apostles' efforts to share the gospel with believers as one of physical death, shame, persecution. And he describes it this way. He says, the person sharing the gospel faces the ridicule, faces the trouble, faces the persecution, all with the aim that the people he's ministering to might find the life that is in Christ. And so we face the trouble so that those who need to hear the gospel can hear it. We face the doors being slammed in our face on door knocking. We face that family member that just rolls their eyes every time you step through the door. We face that neighbor who goes inside the moment you step outside. We face the, I don't ever want to hear, see you again, hear you again. We face all of that unpleasant stuff. And in this country, it's just unpleasant. Persecution, when compared to the rest of the world, is... is it's hard to even use that word for us. But we face those unpleasant things in order that through that element of unpleasantness, the gospel might be heard and it might be received by those who are indeed dying and on their way to hell. Ministry demands what we might call the mindset of sacrifice. It doesn't always ask for that sacrifice, but it needs us to have the mindset. One that's willing to give up the physical comforts 
in deference to spiritual effectiveness. And so Paul says, look with me in verse 13. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken, we also believe, and therefore speak. Verse 14, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. Paul quotes here Psalm 116.10 where it states, We speak because we believe. We open our mouths and we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ because we believe the testimony of God's word that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. People can't accept what they don't hear. People can't hear what we don't speak. So we speak what we believe because when we speak what we believe, they will hear and they might just Except. And this brings us to our first manifested result of a thankful church. Within this context of this spiritual fruit, we speak, we plant the seeds because we believe. We speak what we believe as we plant the seeds and water the seeds. They bear fruit. In, in reference to that, he says in verse 15, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. First fruit of thanksgiving, as you plant thanksgiving in your life and you are determined to be thankful and you have a life that is not just determined but you have built up a lifestyle of thanksgiving, the first thing that's going to bear fruit in your life is glory to God by means of His grace. We sing the song and we'll sing it in just a moment. That'll be our first song this morning that we sing during the service. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank You, Lord, for giving to me Thy great salvation so rich and free. As we as God's church lift up the praises to God for what He has done for us and what He has done in us, we are not just being thankful that thanksgiving is bearing fruit unto the glory of God and the praise of God. It's a song of thanksgiving, a declaration of the salvation that we have received. The poet said it this way in, in, in this poem. I wandered the plains of an endless dark, no hope in sight, no joy in life. I squandered my life, missing every mark, no peace of mind, a heart of strife. I thought I was fine, sought solutions through gain. I smiled through the grief and laughed through the pain. But something was missing from a life lived for pleasure, a void left unfilled, a link left undone. Something proved lacking from pursuit of earth's treasure, a hollow contentment, a meaningless fun. I knew I lacked something, some purpose unknown. I sought for some meaning outside of my own. Then piercing the darkness which bound me like chains, a limitless light, a glorious bright. The truth of God's word poured upon me like rain. A lame man could walk. The blind received sight. I found in that moment the thing which I sought, a God on the throne. My life had been bought. A man named Jesus once walked on this earth, sent down in love, God's only Son. Called friend of sinners, He bore my curse, died for my guilt, and said it is done. But He rose from the grave, claiming victory thereof, and He offered forgiveness to me through His love. I thank God on high for His good gift of grace. He saved me from hell 
He gave me new life. I will bless God on earth till I see His dear face. I will see no more pain. I will hear no more strife. So now come what may, whether sickness or health, whether sorrow or pain, whether comfort and wealth, I will joy in and rest in the God of salvation, He who saved me from death and made new His creation. Psalm 102, 107 verse 2 tells us, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. As we pour out our hearts in thanksgiving to God, as we give God the glory that is due unto His name, as we are a thankful people, as we ought to be a thankful people, God is glorified through His church. Jesus is the source of our thanksgiving. God is the object of our thanksgiving. And God's glory is the result of our thanksgiving. So you ask the question, how is it, Pastor, that I can, I can bring glory to God? On a daily basis, I want to glorify God. How can I do it? Well, here's a good start. Be a thankful people. Be a people determined to live a lifestyle of thanksgiving to God. Thank Him publicly. Thank Him privately. Thank Him in prayer. Thank Him in action. And as you do so, you will bring glory to God. Turn with me, if you would, please, to number 217 in your hymnal. It's the end of our first point. We're going to sing our first song. 217 in your hymnal. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand together as we sing. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. We'll sing the first and the last. Some thank the Lord for friends and home, for mercy sure and sweet. But I would praise Him for His grace. In prayer I would repeat. Thank You, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me my great salvation so rich and free. On the last, I trust in Him from day to day. I prove His saving grace. I'll sing this song of praise to Him until I see His face. Thank You, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank You, Lord, for making me whole. Thank You, Lord, for giving to great salvation so rich and free you may be seated the fruit of our thanksgiving being the glory of God please take your Bibles now and turn to Philippians chapter 4 Philippians chapter 4 in your Bibles a second fruit of our thanksgiving. We 
bear fruit unto the glory of God as we thank God. In Philippians chapter 4, we'll see that thanksgiving also bears fruit in incomprehensible peace through purposeful prayer. Paul writes in the book of Philippians, calling God's people unto unity and joy in the face of Christ's imminent return. Let's take a look at verses 1 through 5 of Philippians chapter 4. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Yodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Can you sense the urgency with which these words are written? Paul says, as he writes to this this church at Philippi, tell those ladies that are having a bit of contention to be like-minded. There's no time. There's no time for you to bicker. There's no time for you to argue. There's no time for you to have disunity in the church. The Lord's at hand. He's coming soon and we have work to do. Be joyful, be unified, and let's get busy because the Lord is at hand. Now it's within this context that Paul writes in verses 6-9. through Look at it with me. Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard, and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Wow. Purposed contentment. Contentment can be a hard thing to come by. How is it that we're supposed to bring about what Paul is asking us to in these verses? To thinking on these good things. To being unified in the faith. To, be, to ensuring that we have a, a, a joy in the Lord to live with such an urgency. How is it? It's through careful, thankful prayer. Taking care that each conflict, each worry, each trial is given to God and joyfully laid at His feet. Paul regards care and trial and worry and fear and temptation and anger and strife as distractions that would seek to divert us from the calling of God upon our lives to spread the gospel with urgency and charges us with the responsibility of responding to them by placing them in God's hands. When I think of trust, my mind always drifts to my little girls. Children have an incredible amount of trust, don't they? My little girl, Karis, has been in a jumping phase lately. I jumped, I jumped, she wants to jump. She'll get on a stool or I'll set her on a bed and she'll want to lean off and have daddy catch her. And it's just amazing to me to see her willing to just place her arms up and just lean knowing that daddy is going to catch her and she's not going to fall. Tall things, small things, big things, whatever. She'll lean, she'll fall, 
she'll trust daddy. She trusts that if she places herself in daddy's hands, daddy will catch her. The other night, Karis was not sleeping well. She was crying. She'd been crying and crying and crying. And, and we usually let our girls cry and, and let them just kind of go to sleep because we know that, that you know, they're overtired or whatever. But you know how children can get to that point where they're so worked up that they just can't stop crying and they're just, they, they just get really worked up and they're about ready to hyperventilate. And, and so I went in there and I, I said, Karis, it's okay. And I placed my hand on her chest. And when I placed my hand on her chest, immediately her two hands went, boom, right over mine. And she grabbed my hand and she wouldn't let go. And she started calming down. And in about five minutes she was asleep and I had to get my hand out. See, whatever was the problem, she trusts Daddy. And when Daddy came and placed his hand on her, it calmed her. She found comfort, peace in Daddy's touch. Have you ever had somebody, I don't know, been an employer or a supervisor or you've had some sort of position of leadership and you've had that guy or that lady who you know that if, you, if you've got a project, something that needs to get done, you've got a time limit, you give it to them, you know it'll get done. They are like your right hand. Maybe it's your wife or your husband. They're your right hand. And you know if you say, hey, this needs to get done on this date or this needs to be remembered and we need to do it, you know it's going to get done. And you, don't, you can pass it completely out of your mind because you have placed that care in the hands of somebody that is absolutely trustworthy. Maybe you've never had one of those. Maybe you have. Well, the Scriptures tell us that the God that we serve is a God that can take any burden, can take any worry, and as we place it in His hands through prayer with thanksgiving, something will happen to us. What was a problem in our mind what was unrest in our spirit will be transferred over to God and we'll trust that God will take care of it and on us will come a peace that passes all understanding. That anxiety can pass away. That fear can pass away. That worry can pass away. That's what he says here. He says, be careful. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry. I'm a worrier. I know there's a few other worriers in here as well by your own testimony. I'm one of those. I like to stew over things. I like to think about solutions. But I'm learning something. That worry doesn't fix a thing. That when it's bouncing around in my mind, it's not doing anything but causing me problems. And I've also been learning that I have a God that wants to take those burdens. And as I thankfully recognize a entirely trustworthy God who I can with thanksgiving place my troubles before him in prayer two things happen first I remember that God never wastes trouble on anyone and the reason there is that trouble is because God knew it was going to happen and second I know that God will provide and so though it might not be the most pleasant of circumstances I'm going to get through it Be careful for nothing, the Scriptures say, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, and what? 
the peace of God, which passes all understanding. You can't understand why you have peace. You shouldn't have peace. No one around you has peace in that circumstance, but you can divinely have peace. It's a fruit of thanksgiving as you thankfully place your heart, your cares, your worries in God's hands. So what are you holding on to this morning? What relationship is in turmoil that you won't thankfully give to God? What trial do you find yourself in that is consuming you because you won't thankfully yield it to God? The Scriptures tell us that we have an advocate, that the Lord Jesus Christ is that advocate, and that as we place things in God's hands, we can be anxious for nothing. We're going to sing our second song this morning. Hymn number 317. What a friend we have in Jesus, the song says. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace, he says. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Let's stand again. We'll sing it. We'll sing the first and the second. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. On the second, have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. You may be seated. Turn to one more passage with me this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Told you it was going to be different. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Thanksgiving bears fruit unto the glory of God. Thanksgiving bears fruit of incomprehensible peace. One final fruit this morning. Thanksgiving bears the fruit of godly freedom through knowledge of the truth. For many years now, religion has borne the reputation of being the chains through which society inhibits men from doing what they actually want to do. In fact, there was a a man, he's known as the father of psychology today. His name was Sigmund Freud. You're probably fairly familiar with a man named Sigmund Freud and he has had a tremendous impact upon modern culture. Sigmund Freud was a wicked man, a godless man, a man who hated God, who hated the Bible, and who hated everything moral. He is quoted in regard to religion as saying this one time, 
compare, that religion is comparable to a childhood neurosis. This is what Sigmund Freud thought. He saw religion, and particularly Christianity, as the source of all mental disabilities, of all mental instability. He said the problem is that religion is trying to inhibit mankind from doing what mankind naturally wants to do. And as we inhibit ourselves, as we place ourselves in this box of morality and we inhibit ourselves from doing what we actually want to do, it's what the Bible calls the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, as we inhibit people from doing those natural instincts, as we suppress that, we cause all sorts of mental problems and mental breakdowns and mental issues come from mankind suppressing their natural human instincts. Well, if you know anything about your Bible, you know how false that is. Scripture directly contradicts this. Scripture tells us that man's problem is not his inability to fulfill his carnal cravings. Rather, man's problem is his inability to control his cravings. Romans chapter 7, verse 5 tells us, For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Before Christ, we had a problem, but it wasn't a problem pursuing our own lusts and our own desires. The problem was that those lusts and those desires didn't satisfy. And we couldn't do anything but fulfill those lusts and those desires. Romans chapter 6, verses 20 and 22 tell us this. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end, everlasting life. Rather than bonds, we find both in Scripture and by experience that the true believer, that a true relationship with Jesus Christ offers us a freedom that we never had before. A freedom to live within the bounds of God's revealed will as He has called us to. And to those who live within the bounds of that freedom we find that there is a joy and a contentment that is indescribable. This is the message that Paul gives in 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Look with me. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God and of prayer. In contrast to the false religions that would seek to bring people into a box of false morality where they forbid certain things and allow certain things, the Scriptures tell us that God has given us a freedom within the bounds of His moral will to live a life that is joyful and that is full. God has ordained us to enjoy the pleasures of this life within the bounds, let me make that very clear, of His moral will. As you think about this concept, we talked last week about Adam and Eve. There's no better illustration of the freedom that God gives a person than the illustration that we see with Adam and Eve. God did not... This is, this is not what God did one day in the Garden of Eden. He didn't go to Adam and say, Adam, here's the deal. 
you can eat of any tree in this garden except one. But I'm not going to tell you which one that is. And so you're going to spend your entire life restraining yourself from all good things because you're afraid that you're going to find that one tree that you're not supposed to eat. And so spend your entire life testing each tree very carefully to see which one was right and which one was, is wrong because you don't, want to, you don't want to hit that one that's wrong. God didn't say that. God said, Adam, there's a tree. You may not eat of that one tree, but any other tree in the entire garden is yours. Live life to the full, but I'm limiting you in this area. I'm showing you your boundaries. You have boundaries. Now live in those boundaries. And you know what? There's nothing more content than knowing your boundaries, being capable of living within those boundaries, and doing it. My daughters express this every day. What a contentment my daughters have when they know their boundaries. When they know what they can and they cannot touch. And when mom and dad are consistent in policing those boundaries. If they can't touch something and they touch it, they get disciplined. And they're content because they know what they can do. They know what they can't do. And so they, everything they go up to, they're not afraid that if they touch it, they might get disciplined depending on if mom and dad are in a bad mood that day. Or they might not get disciplined. And if mom and dad are in a bad mood that day, then now I can't touch this thing, but yesterday I could touch this thing. There's no security in that and there's no contentment in that. But when my wife and I are consistent and we set boundaries and the do- my daughters know their boundaries, they are so happy and content to live within their boundaries. Do you know that that's what God has done for us? God has given us His Holy Spirit and He says, because you have the Holy Spirit, you have been enabled by my grace to not do what I've told you not to do and to do what I've told you to do. And by the way, I've given you an entire book that tells you what is right and what is wrong. I've given you every boundary. Live within the boundaries. And we have a faithful God. We have a consistent God. We have an unchanging God. So He has placed the boundaries in, in place and we're not afraid that tomorrow He's going to change the rules on us. You know, today there are some people that are calling themselves modern prophets and they're starting to reinterpret the Bible and change the rules of the Bible and say, well, the Bible doesn't really matter anymore and the Bible is an outdated book and the Bible isn't authoritative and you don't need to listen to that. There are new rules for a new society with a new culture, with new boundaries. But see, that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that the book has been written once for all. It's found in Jude. It's been once for all given to the saints, the faith. And it's not for us to guess at how God might be feeling today and whether or not God is going to say this is wrong today or this is right today. We don't have to guess. It's in His Word. And as we live within the bounds of God's moral will as presented in His Word, we have such freedom. What freedom we have to enjoy life. What freedom we have to amuse ourselves and to enjoy fellowship. We're going to do it in just a few minutes. The Scriptures tell us that all food is clean. There's no more food laws, no more dietary restrictions. The Scriptures tell us that some people observe certain days whereas others don't. And so we're going to go downstairs after this service and we're going to fellowship together and we're going to eat food and we're going to laugh and we're going to have a wonderful time together 
It's going to be a time of fellowship and of joy and it's going to be honest and it's going to be appropriate and it's going to be clean and it's going to please God and it's still going to be joyful. God's Word hasn't shackled society. It hasn't stripped the joy out of society. It has simply given us boundaries within which to freely operate. And as we operate within the boundaries of God's revealed will, there is so much joy. There is so much contentment. And that's the concept that we see in these verses. That all things that God has given to us, which are good, are not to be refused, but they are to be received with thanksgiving. So as we see the blessings that God has given to us in this society, in this culture, and in this life, as we compare those, those elements of society and culture with Scripture, and we carefully remove those things that are outside the bounds of God's moral will, what you'll find is that God has given you a tremendous playground with wonderful freedoms within which to live a full, joyful, thankful life. What tremendous application. Thanksgiving will be a day coming up here as we think about the day itself in which many in this room will enjoy all or many of the pleasures that God has given to us to freely enjoy in this life. Good food, wonderful fellowship, maybe some recreation on that day. And as we enjoy those things, truly we as Christians can appreciate these blessings in a way that no one else in the world can. Why? Because in verse 4 it says that we receive them with thanksgiving. We don't just receive things and say, okay, well that's nice. We receive them and we recognize that they're received from God. Every bit of food that you're going to eat this afternoon, every bit of food that you're going to eat on Thanksgiving Day, you are going to know because you're a believer in Jesus Christ that it is the good pleasure of God that gave you that food. And that's going to heighten the joy. And the family that you'll have and the friends that you'll have on this day, you're going to look around that table, you're going to see friends and family, and you're going to know that it is the blessing of God upon you that you have your friends and you have your family and you're in a warm house and you have room for it all and you are going to see all of those things and you are going to recognize that God has given you a pretty nice playground to play in. And you're not going to need to look out at the world and see the ways that they fulfill the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and be jealous and wish that you could have what they have. And you're not going to need that because you're going to see that God has given you everything you need for life and godliness and there's a joy and there's a contentment because you're operating within the bounds of your Father's will. That's the joy and the contentment that comes with the freedom of knowing the truth of God's Word. We're going to sing one more song this morning and then we'll just review for a few minutes. Hymn A. It's actually on the very front cover of your hymnal. The very front cover. Hymn A. Hymn number A, right? Let's stand together. It's, it's praise God from whom all blessings flow, often known as the doxology. Let's sing it once together. Hymn A. Praise God whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. 
and have a seat. Let's review very quickly as we close. You may never hear another sermon like this, where you're standing and sitting during the sermon, but I trust it's been a blessing, at least something different. Through Thanksgiving, the fruit of Thanksgiving, you know what Thanksgiving is. It's, deter- it's a determined lifestyle, so you're going to do it. You're going to be determined to have that lifestyle of Thanksgiving. You recognize the command to be thankful and the expectation that is indeed upon your life through the Word of God to be thankful for all things. You see the unthankfulness in your life. You've rooted it out. You haven't just stopped at whatever elements you're unthankful for, but you've dug down to the roots of that dandelion, to the very roots of what it is that's causing the unthankfulness, which is pride, selfishness, and you've dug out those roots And now, as you are exercising your life in thanksgiving, as you are living out as a thankful people, as a thankful person, as a thankful family, as we uh, become a thankful church, the fruit of that thanksgiving will be at least threefold. Number one, you, your family, and your church will be to the praise of God. God will be praised through us. Number two, Because of that thanksgiving in our lives, it will bear fruit in peace as our thanksgiving compels us to yield our worries and our fears and our anxieties to God. And number three, as we receive with thanksgiving those things that God has given to us, we will recognize that all things are from God, therefore we will know what's not from God. We will remove those things from our lives and we will operate within the contentment and the freedom of the bounds to which God has given us. And there will be joy and contentment and peace and glory to God. What more could we ask for in this life? A thankful people. Last week we made the case that to withhold from God your thanksgiving is to place yourself in the company of blasphemers and those that would scorn Christ's sacrifice. What we need to remember as we go into thanksgiving this week is that this holiday is so uniquely Christian. It is so uniquely Christian. This holiday in the secular world has become uh, gorge yourself, watch football, and prepare for shopping day. As a matter of fact, it's hard to find a Thanksgiving card. They all say, Happy Turkey Day. What's Turkey Day? But, we, as Christians, cannot, must not, ought not yield the spirit of this holiday under any circumstances. We ought not follow the culture into our self-sufficient mindset that would ascribe all that is bright and beautiful just to whatever. Let's take the time to ascribe it unto the one to whom it is due, to God alone. Let's pray.